Yeah, we're going to use it all. We're going to keep that all in. Ready? Here we go. Here we go. It's two fat morons save the world. Well, say something stupid. Something stupid. <laughs> Good afternoon, everybody. It is two fat morons save the world. Save the world. I'm Terry. He's Dave. Say hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. I know you want me to do that every time. You want me to do uh, that every time. Hello, say hello, no, Dave. Hello, Dave. Actually, I don't. That, that was actually a little more natural than it normally is, but that was, it was a perfect response. Although. I am let, a let, performing let, monkey. Let, let's give him a hand, folks. There's Dave. Yeah. Dave Crookshank, everybody. Give That's, him a hand. I'm here all week. I'm here all week. I'm here all week. There you go. Listen, we're on a very important cusp of a very, or we are on the cusp, David. Of a very important international election, specifically tomorrow. We are recording this literally like 14 hours or some, or 24 hours before the, the start of the counting. The of big the, one. The big one. The second largest or most important election, in my opinion, in the United States in their history. The first, we've alluded to that in previous uh, broadcast, in a previous broadcast, but... The first would be the American Civil War in 1864, and Abraham Lincoln's uh, re-election uh, in 1864 was, inco- was um, uh, inconceivably so important to the history of the Western world, I think, uh, that I would consider you know, that uh, election the, um, the most important. This one by far, though, easily fits into, uh, into number two. And there's a number of things that we're going to discuss in, in regard to this election. We'd like to, you know, talk a little bit about um, the candidates still and, you know, mm. what their um, impact might be, either one of them, uh, in the event of a Joe Biden victory or in the event of a Donald Trump victory. I think that there's some far-reaching implications, you know, both in the United States and, you know, peripherally and out and otherwise to their partners around the world. Well, there's always implications. Um, Any president has implications, right? But you just don't know what they're going to be until the next election. <laughs> and, unless your last name is Harrison, because some president named Harrison died 30 days in and he didn't do anything. No. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> well, and there's, people, um, there's, there's people that are saying, you know, this is, uh, this is Kamala's, Kamala Harris's uh, big break because she's going to be president within uh, within two years. Well, we'll see. I mean, um, Joe Biden is is an older man. I mean, Donald Trump's no spring chicken either, but I would much prefer, I don't know about you, but I I would much prefer to see somebody who is, you know, admittedly a bit of a, you know, a bit of a strong arm when it comes to being tough on crime, as opposed to somebody who's a bit of a strong arm when it comes to being tough with Jesus. Uh, Mike, Mike, Mike Pence is a, he's a crazy man as far as I'm concerned. Well, I mean, you know, every time I see that guy saying, I spoke to Jesus this morning, you know, to quote uh, uh, Omarosa. No, you didn't. But anyway, there's nothing, there's story. nothing wrong with religion. I just don't feel that it has any place in government. I mean, I, I know lots of religious people and I have great respect for some of them, the people that I know I do, but um, you know, you're appealing Donald Trump holding a Bible upside down in front of the in front of the cathedral there in in Washington was 
mostly just a play. Like he's the least religious religious person <laughs> that I've ever seen. Yeah, I, there was that was a photo opportunity. I don't think anybody disputes the fact that that was a photo of opportunity it was. that was, but it was remarkably it, bad. It was intended to appeal to a specific base. Yeah. And it did. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you you pointed that out in a previous mm -hmm. uh, episode as well, that I mean, mm -hmm. people that are aligned with him ate that stuff up, man. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. loved it. Um, so that's, we're going to talk about the impact maybe from uh, during the, the course of this particular show. And the big subject that I really um, want to talk about, though, is um, a lot of things happened in the world in the last week or two that kind of made me think about this whole topic of, um, well, for lack of a better term, let's just use the all encompassing term of bullying or bullyism or however you want to mm -hmm. describe it. Um, this is something that is actually really quite close to my own life experience and my own sort of heart and one of my own personal causes. Um, now full disclosure and everybody that knows me, knows this. I have a harsh and very pragmatic personality <laughs> that sometimes come across as being very condescending, which I don't mean to be, that sometimes comes across as being, you know, very dismissive, which I don't mean to be, but we're our own worst recorders and our own worst mirrors, Dave. Mm -hmm. We can't see how we're talking or can't, you know, hear how we're talking to each other and we can't see our facial expressions. There's no mirror and there's no microphone in front of us when we're talking to our friends and our family. And then in my workplace as a consultant, many times I've been told, hey, dude, you got to tone this down a little bit. I don't see you that way. I've never seen you that way. You're as far as being pragmatic, you're probably the most altruistic guy, you know, that I know. But um, what about you? I mean, do you? Do you think you're a bully to people? No, 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 no. Uh, not a not a bully. I mean, I'm I'm tough when I have to be, um, and I and I don't <laughs> tough when he, well, he no, says no. he's tough when he has to be. Dave, tough when I have to got. be. But I uh, and I and I don't mince my words. Um, I I put people's feelings often second to what I need to say because it takes more time to manage people's feelings. And I'm too busy to manage people's feelings. So I get right to the point. And sometimes that comes across as abrasive. I need a tissue right now. There you go. Just telling you. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And we're going to sort of kick off a little bit with, um, I've had a lot of people ask in the, you know, over the years, because I've spent a lot of time in the United States. What the heck is all of this thing about this electoral college? And this sounds like a staged bit, but it's really not. It, uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding about how presidents get elected in the United States. So let's just do a little bit of an education session for our listeners. It, it seems to me, and this is just my opinion, but it seems to me that it's an over, overly complicated system. That is that that along every step along the way, there are chinks in the armor that can be exploited. Um, I wouldn't agree necessarily with that, but there are definitely, you know, fallacies and problems with the system that can lead to um, abuse. Now, here's the facts. There's been 45, as of tomorrow, November the 3rd, there'll have been 46. There's been 45 elections in U.S. history, all but three of them 
have run pretty much the way of the popular vote, which is the mass counting of every vote for the candidates um, versus the Electoral College. They've almost all gone that way. But the three that haven't have been, you know, pretty severely consequential to American history. The first (laughs) one, you know, being um, Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel Tilden back in, you know, post-Civil War times. Uh, The second one being uh, only 20 years ago, uh, Bush v. Gore. Um, I don't think anybody would argue that that was an incredibly consequential decision. Uh, Al Gore won the popular vote there by quite a quite a margin, and the Supreme Court gave that victory to, you know, uh, W. Uh, and the third one, of course, was in W. <laughs> That's I'm, all I have to say about that. I'm, I'm very. Um, I would be. I'm, and I've said this many times. I'm very curious. I would love to know, and it's impossible, but I'd love to know what this world would be like right now had Gore won in 2000. I remember watching the video of the truck filled with ballots that was going to the Supreme Court or going to wherever it was, and mm. and and that whole controversy, and I think it came down to like Florida votes or something. I'm not, I'm not uh, an expert on what happened, I, but um, um, I was always curious, you know, what would have happened how would things have been different had Al Gore won? Because you think in 2000, this is pre 9-11. And George W. Bush was the, was the man who had to handle 9-11 and did it in a very, you know, we all know how he handled 9-11. Militaristic way. Yeah. Al Gore, Mr. Uh, <laughs> Mister Mr., uh, Tree Hugger, right? Not that that's mm-hmm. a bad thing. How would he have handled it? And what would our world be like today? Had he been, would it 9-11 even have happened if Al Gore had won? Yes, I, 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 I think it would have happened regardless. Um, however, um, you had guys like Donald Rumsfeld, who is a demon as far as I'm concerned, you know, from a political standpoint. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> Dick Cheney, you know, the the guy who is, you know, known almost exclusively these days for shooting his best friend in yeah, the yeah, face right. in a hunting trip, yeah, yeah. you know, great didn't guy. Didn't, didn't kill him. Didn't kill him, but he purposely shot him in the face from what I understand. I don't think it was on purpose. Um, oh, hey, watch the miniseries or watch the movie. He Listen like to he the conspiracy theories. Okay, no Conspiracy problem. theories. Carry on. Carry on. We'll talk about that next time. Anyway, the that yeah, you're right about that, and it was Florida that was the uh, the swing mm-hmm. um, vote and the Supreme Court decision there uh, that allowed Bush to win that election. But and then of course the third one was Hillary v. Donald in you know in 2016, and what I can't wrap my head around is this: that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by th- over three million votes, and to my recollection, the other two disputed elections didn't come that close. They were very close in the popular vote. Donald Trump did not win that election in a popular vote. If they had have not had an electoral college, there's no way that that man would have been president. Now, who can say over the last four years, you know, what have been different? I think things would have been very different. But I also don't think that, you know, Mrs. Clinton would have survived uh, mm-hmm. a re-election campaign in her own right. And we, we might be stuck with another Donald Trump or another or a, um, you know, in a, in a revised history, Donald Trump might be the president now. Right. Um, regardless. So this electoral college thing, 
Um, there's 438 delegates that are selected by the uh, electoral college constituencies in the United States, and that's why you need a majority of 270 of those electoral college votes to be elected president. Is now, that- they are not bound. Hold on. They're not bound, and uh, I'd like to know your thoughts on this, too. Those, that- elector- those electors are not bound to vote for the person that um, their constituents have voted for. Which makes the system break apart. I mean, they usually do. But there are cases where they like don't. Last election was the last a great election, one. and in fact, in fact, um, where is it here? Um, in 2016, we had the most faithless electors, as they're called. If they don't vote yeah. the way that they're supposed to, they're called faithless electors. And in 2016, we had the most in history that didn't. It was five Democrats and two Republicans broke their promises to vote for their party's nominee, um, but they voted. For a variety of candidates that weren't on the ballot. So Bernie no, Sanders, not, Colin no, Dave, Powell, Ron Paul. No, that's not true. But that's it is true, true because I'm looking no, at it. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. At least according to the New York Times, it is true. They voted for a variety of candidates not on the ballot. Bernie Sanders, Colin Powell, and Ron Paul, among others. It did not change the outcome. That's in black and white. And you can take that up with the New York Times. I don't plan to. Okay. Good. Then we'll consider it Times. true. What, what what kind of a backwater publication is <laughs> we'll the New York Times? We'll consider it true. Oh, I didn't hear that. The, what I read on Wikipedia mm. <laughs> was that five. Um, well, you know, actually, now that I think about it, they didn't really go into very much detail on Wikipedia. So you're probably mm. right. I'm sorry, but what the, was that? the greater the the greater point is, um, they're not bound to vote. However, they can be recalled by the constituency and immediately replaced before their vote is counted. And then the replacement vote, um, if they do vote for the candidate that was elected by the constituency, their vote counts, which is, that's ridiculous. It seems, well, it doesn't, it, 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 it seems, seems stupid to it me. It seems counter counterintuitive because if you're voting for someone to vote for you and they decide to vote for somebody else, that's a breakdown in the system. And if they vote for somebody else and you can just repeal their vote, what's the point? Exactly right. Like we should get our uh, crack team of uh, researcher on that one. I think at some point in time to you know explain that one to us after this so particular there, election is over. So their votes are public then. Like everybody knows how they're voting. Like it's not right. a secret ballot. Right. So if they don't vote the way you want them to vote, then you can just turn them off. Correct. The, so what's the point? That's my thing. What's the point? That's ridiculous. For me, because I'm a moron, I'm just trying to understand it. And and if that's the case, then it doesn't make any sense to me. Neither does does, um, uh, the fact that, you know, if there are X number of seats in a a state, 52, I don't know, I'm pulling that number out of the air, 52 seats, electoral college seats in California, and if 51% of the population votes for one side or the other, that side gets all of the seats. Does that make sense to you? Well, other than Nebraska and Maine, which is right. kind of inconsequential because <laughs> I think it's only seven total seats that matter. It, it would make sense to me that if you're going to have an electoral college based on, you know, on popular vote, then it would, they should they should match. They should be the same, shouldn't but, they? But what do you right? even need the delegates for? Because if you've got seats that are that that, you know, a, a collection of people that vote one way in a constituency or whatever the term is in the states, 
and then you take that and make someone else vote and they don't have to vote that way that makes every election rigged in my opinion ah dave you're hurting my brain you're hurting my brain dave hurting the whole my thing brain. hurts my brain i mean i know right yeah so it, it 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 seems to be a system that can break down at any time i would love if anyone's out there that is an expert on the american electoral college system um by all means you know write us tweet us facebook us whatever let us know we'll bring you on and you can give us an education on how it works and the time is right we're going to know as of like literally this time plus six hours tomorrow who oh, yeah. probably so called is at least in in line to be the president of the united states i'd love to know how this works but um you know i think i'm pretty knowledgeable when it comes to american elections and as this discussion's just proved i don't know as much as i think i do we're going so, to see some major drama tomorrow because explain. because they by the end of tomorrow they will be able to project a winner but if but not but yeah. if not all the mail-in ballots are are cast or counted then they're going to have to extend it so they can say well it looks like x person is going to be president but we don't have all the ballots in and if it's close i mean if it's if it's if it's a blowout on either side then the projections will most likely be um you know most likely stay um legitimate but if it's close by the end of tomorrow and there's still mail-in ballots that's when the fireworks are going to fly because we already know how the republicans feel about mail-in ballots and if it rests to that we are never ever going to see any rest from from the trump side because they're all they have to do he's already said it he's already set the stage saying if i don't win it was rigged and if i win i'm going to complain about it but i'll take it um yeah bill maher was on uh jimmy kimmel the other night and had something really really cool to say that i hadn't considered um one way or the other, he he firmly believes that the current president of the United States will challenge of course this result if he loses. Because, mm -hmm. um, very simply put, the man despises his um, interpretation of what it is to lose. Mm -hmm. And he won't take losing gracefully in any manner, shape, or form. No. You know, what whatsoever. And this, this scares me because what you've got is, well, I mean, it scares anybody, I think, but... When you start seeing buses being surrounded by, you know, people in pickup trucks with gun racks in the back and being yeah. run off of a road in Texas, and you've actually literally got, um, what do they call those guys? Not the Proud Boys, the other ones, the uh, Oath Keepers, I think is what it was, you know, out and heavily armed and literally intimidating people at the polls already. That's mm -hmm. not conjecture. That's fact. That mm -hmm. stuff's happening yeah. right now, man. So, so, um, so that's I, brown shirts walking down the street in Berlin, dude. That's what that is. So what's so what's going to happen now? I don't have a tremendous amount of faith in people. I do have a tremendous amount of faith in the system. In so much as if Biden is declared the winner, okay, Donald Trump has what, two months to bitch and moan and complain about it. But as of January, is it January 3rd? 20th. 20th, when he gets sworn it's in. the 20th, yeah. When January 20th gets sworn in, everyone is worried that, oh, Trump won't leave, blah, 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 blah. 
as of if Biden wins and gets sworn in on January 20th, the military does not answer to Trump anymore. The, the, the Supreme Court does not answer to Trump anymore. The police don't answer to Trump anymore. It's they, they answer to their president. And if Joe Biden gets sworn in on January 20th and Trump refuses to leave, <laughs> they won't side with him. They will side with their president. If I mean, assuming that the bulk of the military is is, uh, you know, uh, not. Corrupted, Pro-Trump or, or corrupted or whatever. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. And I hadn't considered that per se. Yeah. Um, what I had considered, though, was the Washington area. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time there with um, my my ex-wife from 30 years ago. Um, it, there's a lot of people that live in that area, Maryland, Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, the District of Columbia, Let's just, and you know, put it this way, there's almost always when they have a major march, there's always over a million people, sometimes two, that, um, you know, show up at the Washington Mall. Um, heck, when the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship last year, I wanted to go to the the parade. And then, you know, I, I don't live that far from outside of downtown um, uh, Toronto. And there were people streaming to go to that parade, which is five, six minutes down the road from where I am, there were over 2 million people in the street downtown Toronto for a good cause or a fun cause, a celebratory mm-hmm. mood. Could you imagine 2 million people showing up on the wall in, on the mall in Washington that are angry? It, it doesn't matter how many military there are. A mob of 2 million people can pretty much effectively remove the Congress, the Senate, and especially the president if they wanted to. There ain't no chain link fence in the world that's going to stop 2 million people from hammering it down and going after that man if he refuses to come out of the White House. Or if- Not a call to action. Hold on. Not a call to action, Dave. Let's make that clear. I'm not not suggesting that that happened. I'm just saying that that could happen. And of all times in U.S. history- this is the one time I really believe that could happen. Except the Democrats don't do that. So what's going to I, happen is, what's going to happen <laughs> is, or very potentially, is Donald Trump is going to rabble rouse his crowd to do exactly the opposite. And that's more likely. And then in which case, you know, coming full circle on a discussion about um, consequential elections, you may have a civil war on your hands being mm-hmm. started very in the very streets of Washington. I've said it. I've said it several times. Now I knock on wood when uh, <laughs> when I talk about that because who wants a civil war? But when you've got you know forty percent of the U.S. population that's angry and scared, and their cult leader. Okay, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't use those terms. But their leader uh, is calling for them to stand back, but stand by. Yeah. You know, they've already been called, they've been called to stand by already. So they already have a sense of duty. And if the military or the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, what do they call that? The, the national guard or the infrastructure at the white house is now working for the new president, but darn it. If, uh, if they're going to keep the good boys, the good old boys or the, I don't know the names of these proud groups, boys. the proud boys, um, the oath keepers and the, you know, all these other groups, they're standing by and you know, you know, most of them are armed. 
Well, okay. So to that point, here's here's just as an aside, maybe. Um, a very, very, very dear friend of mine, a writer um, in Calgary, is uh, of German heritage. And one thing he said to me always stuck with me. He said, you know, it. he... He used to get mad at the Western press, in particular the American Western press, because they would cover neo-Nazi um, marches and you know related kinds of activities in Berlin or in Munich or Hamburg or Frankfurt or whatever. And he, he said point blank, he said, you know, if you ever actually saw the other side of the camera, you might see one or 2,000 neo-Nazis walking down the street, but what the cameras don't show are the 800,000 people on the other side of the street just waiting for them that are against the neo-Nazis. That always stuck with me because I think that's true. I think that Nazism sells in any form. It sells newspapers. It sells ad time on CNN, Fox, NBC, whatever. But peace doesn't, right? So I think think you have a point, Dave, but – I believe in the better natures of our, of our, the better angels of our nature, as Lincoln said, as human beings, that the vast majority of the good versus the bully um, will have their voice heard and they'll be on the other side, you know, of that much more media hyped uh, parade. I will hope so as well. I have a, a certain amount of faith in humanity, though it's a little bit shaky. But the problem is when you have one side against the other, that's what makes a war. So, you know, you can say, well, 60% of the people are good and 60% of the people are for peace and whatever, whatever. But if the 40 aren't, the 60 have to raise their pitchforks and say, we're not going to stand for this anymore. And that's what happens. Right. You know, so we can rely or hopefully rely on the um, on the, um, the the better nature of individuals and hope that, you know, this isn't going to come to bloodshed. And like I said, I've knocked on wood, you know, many times saying I hope that this isn't going to happen, but it's a very real possibility. Yeah, just hang on a second. I heard somebody knocking. I think there's somebody at the door. Hold on. That was me. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. That was me. I'll edit this out. <laughs> um, yeah, I knew that. I was trying to be funny. Um, oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm that's sorry. the yeah. ticket. Yeah, humor. Yeah. Humor, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you're trying to be funny. Don't. Be, I know. I be, get no, it. no, no, no. Next time you're trying to be funny, be funny. Be funny. Oh, even better advice. Yeah, actually be funny. Well, speaking of funny, I, I want to segue from that electoral <laughs> that so college awkward. discussion. Yeah, that's okay. Hey, I'm going to hey leave man, that in now. We, we have to. We wouldn't be two fat morons if we didn't have moments of awkwardness between us. Let's be frank. I wouldn't be so I, I kind of want to segue into our second half of our discussion. Uh, you know, I I, I want to talk about um, bullying in particular because. It's topical because the current president of the United States is the biggest bully on the world stage by far. Um, you know, uh, even to the point of his own most trusted people that are not his family are, you know, have abandoned him and, and you know, talking about how much of a menace this guy is. But, you know, the, we, we lost a... Um, the discussion to have is is centered around this, Dave. We we lost a vaunted performer uh, a few days ago. 
the man who originated the role of uh, James Bond, uh, Scotland's own Sean Connery, passed away at the age of 90 this week. And what I've been seeing is an outpouring on Twitter and on Facebook and other social media platforms of, you know, intense grief and rest in pieces and all of these kinds of sympathetic messages, you know, about and directed towards this man. I have a contrary view on that, but I'd like to hear what you thought of Mr. Connery before I sort of delve into my own Mr. Bond? dissertation. Um, Bond. He's not James my Bond. he's not my favorite Bond. Who's your favorite Bond? Um Daniel Craig. Moron. Nope. Best Bond. Nope. Yep. Nobody can hold a torch to George Lazenby. Come on. <laughs> Even his one movie. <laughs> yeah, and the, the reason why he didn't get a second one was because he flaunted it so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, no, I Daniel Craig, that, the, the uh, Casino Royale, when I watched that, I'm like, finally. Like, I grew up in the 80s, okay? I'm a fat moron, but I'm also old. But I grew up in the 80s, and, and so Roger Moore was my James Bond. He was the James Bond I discovered. Mm-hmm. And so he was always my James Bond, Roger Moore. You know, and then Timothy Dalton came in, and I like him as an actor, but he wasn't, he wasn't James Bond. Pierce Brosnan was uh, terrible. Um, and, and, and yet before he came in, I thought, oh, there's the perfect James Bond. And they were talking about putting him in. This was in the, what, late eighties, early nineties. I thought, oh, he'd be the perfect James Bond. He was terrible. And probably because the movies really sucked. I mean, the movies were bad. The movies were bad. Yeah. And <sighs> you have to be a hardcore James Bond fan to love every James Bond movie. Daniel Craig is closest to Ian Fleming's book version of James Bond yeah. by far. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. Yeah. There. Daniel Craig, in my opinion, is the epitome of, of James Bond. He's the tough. He's the, he's the, uh, the, the good-looking, tough guy. He has the right it. Uh, I couldn't even tell you what it is, but he has the right it. And he just, he just had this chiseled perfection that he was James Bond. Um, uh, you know, every James Bond per, portrayed a different type of Bond. You know, um, uh, Roger Moore was this soft lover and, and, uh, and uh, 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 Sean Connery was the, the chiseled, you know, um, ath- athlete, athletic James Bond, right? Daniel Craig was all of that rolled into one, I think. He was the epitome well, of every James Bond. Fair enough. And I mean, it's, it's an interesting, maybe we can have a bit of an informal poll for the listeners. You know, who's your favorite James Bond? Write us and let us know. Put That'd be kind Facebook of a fun page. thing. Yeah. yeah. My, my, without, before we go back to the Connery, you know, discussion, um, the one thing that always held all of the Bond books and films together um, outside of actors portraying different roles were the gadgets. I'd, Freaking yeah, oh, love yeah. the gadgets, mm-hmm. man. Some of that was the coolest stuff on on celluloid. That car in Spy Who Loved Me, who doesn't want that car? Was that the was that the Lotus? Yeah. Yeah. The submarine Lotus. Yeah. yeah right? The Lotus. And of course there's the um, the Aston Martin, which is my favorite car, but I'm a huge Aston Martin fan. And I'm not a car. Classic. Guy. Classic. But I love the Absolutely. Aston Martin. 
Um, yeah. The other cars tended, after the Aston Martin and the Lotus, the cars tended to come in as promotional tools yeah. for the car manufacturers. <laughs> um, but, you know, hey, we got a commercial here. Let's put the car in. You James, know, it's James, James Bond. We've got this new James, Hummer for you, James. James Bond in an 88 Ford Mustang or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, um I, you know, you come for the action, but you stay for the gadgets. I cannot in a second argue with you there. Yeah. And Q, I is, want to get back. Q, Q was always my favorite character. Yeah, I, 100%. Yeah. Uh, we're getting way off topic here and we only well, have an hour. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to Mr. Connery. And I have a personal connection to this man. Yeah. Not like the whole six degrees of separation thing. So, again, you, you're opinion of mr connery is that he was a what good actor yeah yeah he was he was was all right yeah i like i I liked what he did for the most part and so did i i mean he was terrible in the rock but uh but uh, didn't see that but (laughs) i I defy anybody to watch the hunt for red october and not say that is an amazing amazing role Right, yeah, like but it was a terrible movie, and he, it was it a was terrible it was, movie. It was but terribly it, he cast. was so good in a terrible yeah. movie, and yeah. he elevated that film. Right? Yeah, um, but he was a he was a Scottish Russian submarine captain, which didn't make any sense to me. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. He just he he, he sold it, then he sold it well. So yeah. as a performer, yeah. no question. I mean, you know, uh, oh, the Untouchables. He was great in the Untouchables, yeah. and there was the lead, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, well, the, we won't talk about the League of Extraordinary <laughs> League Gentlemen. Of Extraordinary. <laughs> That's one of the worst movies ever made. Yeah, but yeah. regardless, the man's body of work does speak for itself. He yeah. was formidable mm-hmm. as an actor, okay? Mm-hmm. He was also a really, really terrible human being, according to very many people, mm-hmm. right? I have read accounts from his co-stars, females in particular, that don't have kind things to say mm about that man, one of which actually left a very famous and popular female actor who left the craft after an experience with him, mm-hmm. partly because of him and also, well, partly, mostly because of Harvey Weinstein, but that's a whole other story. The misogyny of Hollywood in general, right? This man was an unabated, unapologetic misogynist. Mm. He's on record as a wife beater. He's on record as an alcohol abuser. In fact, years ago, he was asked in a Playboy interview, you know, about his, um, the, the allegations at that time about him saying that, you know, he had no issues with slapping women to keep them in line, at which point he said, um, well, you know, I never, um, I will never sanction abuse. And he said it with a smile, which was the obvious description that many people took to mean I don't view as keeping a woman in line as abusive, Mm -hmm. the ultimate misogynist. Now I'm going to tell a story and I'm going to go a little bit, tiny bit off base here, but a lot of people know this story already. Um, I was very fortunate enough to have had a mentor in the late 1990s and early two thousands, uh, by the name of Anthony Schaffer who some people might recognize that name as the author of the play Sleuth. He was the screenwriter for uh, a number of Alfred Hitchcock films, most notably Frenzy. He was Agatha Christie's hand-picked 
screenwriter adapter for Death on the Nile, Evil Under the Sun, Murder on the Orient Express. Some of the stories Mr. Schaffer told about Agatha Christie are priceless, but that's another topic for another time. I I got involved with him because uh, as a bit of a lark, um, I had uh, transcribed his movie, the 1973 film, The Wicker Man, into a stage production. And I had posted about this on one of those old Yahoo groups, you know, back in the late 90s that were still around at that time. And lo and behold, I get an email from a man named Alan Brown, who was the biographer of Anthony Schaffer and said, hey, do you mind if I get you in touch with him? He'd love to hear from you. He, he really likes it when people, you know, show an, a, you know, an interest in his work and, and he, he's really good to his fans. So I said, sure, never expecting to get any kind of a response back. And then two weeks later, I get a phone call at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> mm. and it's this very gravelly English voice and it's Mr. Schaffer. And to make a long story short, I spent the better part of three years developing The Wicker Man into a stage uh, production um, with him. Got a lot of press over it from uh, the Daily Mirror in the in the UK, The Guardian, which is not a reputable publication by any means, but it's still a publication. And Playbill in particular, especially when Mr. Schaffer passed away on November 6, 2001, you know, wrote a very nice obituary and included me in that obituary. And I'm always very grateful for um, the writer, uh, you know, calling and asking me, you know, for my thoughts on my time with him. As a side bit, you know, one of the funny parts about that is um, one of uh, Mr. Schaffer's other protégés at the time was a guy named um, Guy Ritchie. And I'm very fond of saying that I'm the uh, Anthony Schaffer protégé who uh, did not marry Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. So there's your six degrees of separation. However, Mr. Schaffer's wife was a wonderfully, or was a wonderful actress named Diane Chalento. And I believe she was Australian. Um, people may not know that name, but they'll, they'll remember her face if they see her. She's, she's done a lot of film. She was in The Wicker Man, of course. Uh, she was in The Agony and The Ecstasy with uh, Charlton Heston and, and Rex Harrison. Um, very popular 1960s, 1970s actress. And she was Sean Connery's either first or second wife. Now, the stories I heard about Sean Connery and the abuse that he put this woman through in the time that they were married were absolutely horrifying, Dave. Um, you cannot sit and listen. And the, some, of that, some of it is even in Mr. Schaffer's uh, own handwritten biography in his book. You cannot sit and listen to the stories about this guy and not feel um, impacted and not swayed in your opinion of this guy as a person, as a human being, when you hear these kinds of stories. And they're not, it's not isolated. There's a lot of them out there about how this man treated people on set. So the question is, do you judge the person by the measure of their work? Or do you judge the person by the measure of the man or the human that they are? It I'd always, love to hear your take on that. It always depends on what your connection to that person is, because I'm not going to say that someone is a piece of garbage because I heard, you know, like, I mean... I'm reading an article right here, looking at an article that said uh, Connery was married to the Australian actress Diane Salento from 1960 to 1973, and the two had a tumultuous relationship. 
Their discord continued for years after they divorced with Salento claiming that Connery had abused her and also that he cut their son Jason out of his will, something Connery flatly denied, although he did tell Playboy that he didn't think hitting a woman was wrong. Um, um, now, I don't have any personal connection with that and, and I think it's all too common today to hear about the tumultuous relationships with anyone in, uh, in Hollywood, um, because, because Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. I get, I get, I get where, I get where you're going with this, but let me say this. Um, I never met, I, I, I spent a lot of time with Mr. Schaffer and I spent no time with Mrs. Schaffer, Diane Chalento, although I talked to her on the phone several times Mm -hmm. and she was always very much like a mom, just Mm -hmm. a really, really wonderful lady. Very open, very giving, very conversational. Um, She always greeted me when I, when, when Mr. Schaffer had me call them in Australia, I might add, because they had a beautiful, um, Facility. I don't even know if it's still there because Miss Chilent, Mrs. Chilent, or Mrs. Schaffer has passed on as well. Uh, they had a, a they had built a facility in the in the jungle or the rainforest in Australia called Karnak, and I and I believe it's still there. And they um, that was their sort of their life's work together kind of thing. Now, Mr. Schaffer was definitely no. Um, you know, no angel. I mean, part of the reason that he kept coming to Toronto to see me was because he had a mistress here. Let's just be honest about that. Um, so, you know, he's a bit of a bit of a playboy and that's okay. And I, and I knew that, but I kind of benefited, you know, from that. Um, I had written a lot of uh, music and lyrics along with two Calgarians, uh, two really talented guys. Shout out to Carl Bishop and Cameron Falkenhagen, I'd have no idea where those, how those guys are doing, but really, really talented dudes. Um, I had hoped that we would be able to get somewhere with this, but like I said, Mr. Schaffer passed away on November 6, 2001, and uh, still one of the hardest days of my life. I'm getting a little verklempt. You're getting verklempt. I'm going to give you a topic yeah. to talk about. The Holy Roman Empire was neither holy, no Roman, nor an empire. Discuss. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> Well, I, yeah. I, I guess the point is the point is that, you know, is it the 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 Hollywood machine um, is one of money and debauchery and um, um, people behaving badly? Does that make it right? Well, there's. I mean, it's a great discussion to have in this discussion because. You know, you can have funny bullies, right? Like, um, a, I, I did a, a television show for Disney called Honey, I Shrunk the Kids way back in the late 90s or mid 90s. And it was a writer that had a friend writer who told a Steven Seagal story. It's one of the funniest that I've ever heard, you know, about how this guy was, you know, known for being you know, very, very so full of himself. He would actually assault, <laughs> you know, other people that were on his, uh, in his movies, uh, apparently in exec- the movie Executive Decision, um, the actor John Leguizamo talks about being assaulted by Steven Seagal because he laughed at him. It's a great story. But the story that I have is is a funny one. And this writer was talking to Seagal about doing um, the movie Under Siege, which I believe was actually made. 
And uh, he was called onto the set that, you know, Seagal was on and there was this gigantic trailer and Seagal made him wait for 45 minutes uh, in sweltering heat, you know, for this uh, meeting about Under Siege 2. And Seagal came out and sat down and gave him an intense look and said, I want you to know, I just read the greatest script I've ever seen. And the writer said, oh, wow, that's really cool. Who, who wrote it? I did. <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny story and you know you get these stories about guys like that that are just kind of pathetic it's kind of moronic you want to talk about you know talk about moronic people i'm not going to say that steven seagal's a moron but i mean come on that guy's career is pretty laughable right regardless we're talking about bullying and there is some Correlations between the famous. I mean, there, I'm sure everyone's heard stories of some celebrities. You know, I think uh, Mariah Carey, J Lo, well, the Kardashians. Remember, you know, they're the all well known for being terrible people to quote unquote normal people in normal life. Do you remember the audio clip that came out years ago of Christian Bale going off on a lighting tech because uh, because someone did something or something wasn't perfect on a movie set? It was it was during the filming of Terminator. Genesis, I think, or Terminator, no. Terminator Salvation, Salvation, whichever yep. it was. And the I clip, know that story well. The yeah. clip came out of Christian Bale just going off on this lighting guy, and I mean, when you've got a when you've got a a person like Christian Bale, who as an actor you have to have a bit of an ego, and when a when a when a movie the the success of a movie purely rests on you. I mean, you're not going to get fired from a movie. You have a lot of power and a lot of clout and when you're you know when you're worth as much money as you are and you have it in your head that you're the most important person on the planet it kind of does it give you a license to kind of be a bit of a dick you well, know, no, it never, it, it never does. Um, I you know, appreciate my, that these people are artists, that they yeah. take their art seriously and yada, yada, yada. But, um, you know, I remember hearing that clip and being horrified. And, and, and I refused to watch any Christian Bale movies for a long time after that, because I just, it no, just, all of my yeah, respect Dave, for him was gone. There is a second, there is another side to that. There's a lot of, um, you know, techie people. Uh, who say that he was perfectly justified in losing it because this guy, you know, didn't respect actor or director's spaces and the director did nothing ever, did never do anything about it. And Bale just lost his cool. Mm -hmm. That stuff like that does happen. Is that a bully moment? It, it is. That right? is 100%. Because it's recorded, yeah, 100%. Sure. It's not professional but either. You'll also hear a lot of people talk about, you know, how generous and, you know, how supportive a guy like Christian Bale you know, sort of is. You hear lots of stories about Russell Crowe. I mean, mm. South Park did a fighting around the world thing with about that guy. And I know people that have worked with him that say he's an absolute sweetheart. And you don't see that, right? So I guess, again, it all goes back to, do you judge the person on the volume of work or do you judge the person on who they are? Most of the time we have to judge people on who they are. You know, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. You're not a sports fan, but you're, are you aware of this... Uh, story of this first round or this uh arizona no. coyotes draft pick this kid named mitchell miller no have you heard this story no so this kid and his buddies literally psychologically and physically tortured an african-american kid for years in high school years 
this kid was not only, you know, subjected to all kinds of racial abuse by this group, and in particular, this this uh, Miller kid, but he was also developmentally disabled. That's kind of a, from what I've heard, that's a nice way to say it. Now, this kid was a, is, I wouldn't say a star hockey player, but he's definitely a solid professional prospect. He had played for the University of North Dakota. He had been drafted in the fourth round by the Arizona Coyotes, and the story that's come out, and a lot of sports fans, especially here in Canada that are hockey fans, will know this story, but this kid was not on a lot of teams' draft lists because of the character issue, right? Because of the fact that this kid actually went to court, was charged and convicted of a juvenile felony of torturing this this kid, this you know this other kid, and most wow. NHL or a good number of NHL teams wouldn't touch him. The Coyotes drafted him anyway, and there was such an outcry, and their response to why why did you draft this kid was, well, we felt it was a chance to rehabilitate him and get him involved in changing the narrative about bullying. No, people were having none of that, right? Um, part of the reason why, two things. The mother of the child that was abused, literally tortured, sent an, uh, uh, a letter, which somebody on the Coyote staff took the gumption to publish that described in pretty graphic detail the the hell that the that this kid put her son through, and the second thing was that um, that somebody dug up the transcript of this kid's uh, court case, and the and the judge literally said, um, "I'm finding you guilty because although you claim to be remorseful here in the courtroom." Your, your attitude tells me that you're not remorseful at all. You're remorseful that you got caught and that you have to say something in court. You're doing this because you're going to be a draft choice. Interesting, right? That's a great example of people doing the right thing, I think, in a lot of ways. So this kid got dropped by the Coyotes. This kid got dropped by the University of North Dakota. And let's be frank, his life is probably not going to be anywhere near the same. No professional hockey team, no reputable college team is going to touch this kid with a with a 10-foot hockey stick based on all of this bad press. Now, here's my question to you. Does this kid deserve a chance? That's a good Tough. question. That's a good question because is it the did he make a mistake or is it his is it in the fiber of his being to be a nasty person? Um, oh man, I just, that's I, a great I, comment. But you can't. The, I mean, the, the heinousness of of a crime, people go to jail for, or you go to jail and you serve your x number of years, and when you come out. Are you now washed of those sins? Do people see you now as a reformed human being? Or are you still a douchebag who went to prison <laughs> for 15 years for, you know, assaulting a kid or what? I don't know. Um, you know, at what point are you a reformed individual? You're what sure full of the D words today, aren't you, Dave? The what? The D words. The D words, yeah. <laughs> it's a podcast keep it clean yeah um 
To your point, you're, so, you're right. So the, so what the question point is, do you, when, when yeah. do you stop judging a person for the actions of the past? Right. Because a politician, a politician who runs for council, his, his actions right back to as a child will be brought up by the other side and used against him. 100%. You're absolutely right. Richard Nixon was not a bad president, really, from a... Um, accomplishment standpoint, none of that matters because of Watergate. Mm -hmm. He was a bad guy because of Watergate. And you can't fault people for thinking that. No. But the man's reputation was never the same. No. Well, because it was a very public, <laughs> it was a very public event and, uh, and it just, it wasn't good. Well, getting back to the whole presidential thing, um, I, I watched an excellent interview with Stephen King a couple of days ago, and it's available on YouTube. Um, and King quite rightly claims that he predicted Donald Trump back in the 1980s. Oh. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? No. There's a book he wrote called The Dead Zone. Oh. Which talks a lot about the rise of a political figure who is not unlike Donald Trump. In fact, there's a lot of similarities there. It's quite interesting, you know, it's very interesting. And just to make, you know, where we're kind of, we're on our last legs of our, you know, of our broadcast here today, but the point that um, King makes in about this man is that this man makes a moral judgment that is so public and so heinous that um, it completely 100% ruins him. Uh, in fact, what he does is he grabs a child and shields um, a child from the protagonist who is uh, dead set on assassinating this man because he's going to start a nuclear war. So here's the thing. The, the candidate's name was Greg Stilson or Stiltson or something like that. Um, and, and his Waterloo was this using this kid as a shield. Is COVID Donald Trump's Waterloo in this election, Dave? That's a question for another day. It is for another day, but... Um, <laughs> I just find the irony palpable that, uh, that um, Donald Trump's wife, Melania, has chosen bullying as her platform. Oh, man. Talk to me about that. What's your thoughts on it? That's a great topic. Well, I mean, it's a great it's topic a, to end topic. on. It's a great one. It, it's a topic as we as we kind of wind down in time here, but it just it just seems strange to me and and almost strangely intentional that the number one bully, cyber bully, you know, cyber bully in chief, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, his Good wife's comment. whole first lady job is to fight against bullying. Um, and, you know, Donald Trump is the first person to call people nasty. You know, yeah. Kamala's nasty. She was nasty to me. She said something mean to me. And Sleepy Joe and Crooked Hillary and all of his nicknames. Like, mm -hmm. that is bullying. As far as I'm concerned, it's cyber bullying. Because it's, and it's the worst kind because it's so public. And Melania is talking about anti-bullying like you can't make that up like that's the stuff of, of fiction have you heard the her tapes with her former yeah. best friend yeah. oh my god they're disgusting yeah. i mean yeah. the thing that really I, mean, I don't care what anybody they might be fooled that she's a captive in this in this uh 
loveless marriage. I don't care. Uh, I don't care one bit about that. What I care about is that this woman who is a so-called champion for bullying, mm. um, who wore a coat during an ICE investigation mm-hmm. or an ICE, not investigation, um, review or whatever, during the whole caravans being detained thing, wore a coat that said, I don't care, do you, on the back of it. <laughs> She's on a recording saying, why are the press talking about the children in the in the jails, in the, in the cages? Why yeah. are they talking yeah. about the children and they're not talking about me yeah, yeah so bite I, me I mean, melania bite me <laughs> it all comes it all comes around and and it's just it's very very silly and this is why i hope by the end of tomorrow we see a different world well but, let's let's end on that note um david i mean let's end we, on that note how do we save um, the world today like well how, well, bullying, man. Like, uh, and I would say to people, step in, man. Like, don't look the other way. If you know that there's somebody in the workplace, if you know that there's somebody in your family, especially your family, if you know that there's somebody who is under the torture, verbal or otherwise, of somebody who can just end it by walking away. You have to step in. It's not the easy thing to do. Mm-mm. It's the right thing to do. I wish that somebody had been able to step in, um, you know, with me in particular when I started exhibiting traits of the man I refer to as my father and started behaving in a way that was extremely counterproductive to my own future at the time. And many of the people that are listening, they know my my past and they know how um, uncredible and how vicious a guy I was growing up and how really stupid and moronic I was. A lot of that I do lay at the feet of, you know, of a bully, right? Who was, you know, my foster father. But regardless, what I want to end on as a bit of a positive note, but that's how we save the world today is try and step in and stop the bullies, man. And in the United States, we're going to know by tomorrow, but hopefully enough people voted and used that voice to put a bully out to pasture. What's your prediction though for tomorrow night, Dave? What what do you think is going to happen? I think it's going to be close. And I don't think, I think we're, Going to have enough to make a projection tomorrow, but not enough to solidify. It's not going to be a blowout. I know you want a blowout. Uh, well, I think every well, I the world wants a blowout. The Dave. world does, but it's not up to the world. Unfortunately, it's up to yeah. the United States to uh, to vote their heart. If you're a Democrat and you want Donald Trump out, do not vote for uh, Bernie Sanders. Vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, don't waste your is, ballot. Nobody right? is going to hear this podcast before the end of tomorrow because it probably won't be out by then. So this this is a moot point because uh, because the, the 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 results will have been decided by the time uh, by the time this episode is out. No, um, but the question is, what would what do you think, and what's the well, who do you think 
what do you think the outcome is going to be and how do you think it's going to impact everybody? I, so that's I, the second part of the question. How is this going to, regardless of who wins? I think Joe Biden is going to win and I think it's going, we're going to go back to our boring, regular old world. It's going to take four years to undo what Trump has done, but I think we're going to get back on track. In a boring kind of way? Yeah, <laughs> that's what we want. Sleepy Joe Biden. Boring, sleepy Joe but Biden. But the next three months, is, the, the, the next three months is not going to be boring. No, it it's scary, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. my my take is, I think on our last um, no, I don't think I know on our, on our last show, I said it it won't be close. It will be a blowout. In the week since, however, mm -hmm. I'm nervous. Yep, I'm admittedly really nervous, Dave, mm -hmm. and. I know how the system works in the States, probably better than most Canadians do. And when I see the polls starting to come down, when Pennsylvania was at 62% um, for Joe Biden a month ago, and it's 49 today, that scares me. That's a huge drop in polling numbers. Um, Joe Biden is still leading in those important states, Florida, North Carolina, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, I'm missing one, but of those four states in particular, if Donald Trump wins two of them and wins Pennsylvania, he wins this election. And I do think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. Mm -hmm. um, my prediction was um, 290 to 248 uh, for Joe Biden. And if that is in fact the case based on you know, the solid red states and the leaning red states, the solid blue states and the leaning blue states. And especially based on those where those four battlegrounds end up flipping to. Um, if that's the case, then you're right. We're not. This guy's not going to go peacefully and there'll be lawsuits. There might be violence. It scares me. Yeah. I've never, ever been afraid. I've always felt very safe with this gigantic elephant living in our backyard. Yeah. I've always felt very protected. I don't feel that way anymore. We are America's hat. Canada's America's hat. Um, but, uh, yeah, it will be very interesting to see what happens tomorrow. Um, or tomorrow and in the weeks, question mark, to come before the... I guess. I don't know. The we'll, results we will are find out. Uh, interesting discussion to have. But, but for today... We know that whatever happens, he's not going to go peacefully. And any, any ruling or any... Uh, uh, election that sees Joe Biden as the winner is going to be heavily disputed. We know that. Yeah. And he has the Supreme Court on his side. Well, hey, I can't wait for next week's episode. We might be in the middle of an apocalypse, mm -hmm. Dave. Mm -hmm. Maybe. But for now, <laughs> what do I know? I'm just a fat moron. I'm Terry. I'm Dave, and I'm a fat moron. And what are we out to do, Dave? Save the world! Save the world! By eliminating one bully at a time. Thanks for listening, folks. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next week. It's two fat morons save the world. The world is a messed up place, and they're gonna save it. <laughs> Produced by Dave Crookshank and Terry Nihill. Music by Epidemic Sound. Two Fat Morons is a presentation of the Plugged In Media Network and is not intended to be taken seriously by anyone. Check out all our other great podcasts at pluggedinmedia.ca or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.